Hello. Hi. All right. Why are you talking like that? That's, that's a greeting. Mm, but you said it a little faster than normal. But we are in the studio today. We should tell people because we're fulfilling our obligation to release one short in between every episode. We're doing well so far. But before we jump into the short, because we don't have an episode this week, was there anything that you want to talk about? I do have a question about Jewish Twitter and comic books. I feel like that's a pretty big Venn diagram overlap for you. That's definitely uh, in my wheelhouse. Yes. So what I understand, roughly speaking, and correct me where and if I'm wrong, which is likely many times throughout my retelling of this, is that Captain America, who wears a shield and an American flag, I saw his first movie, (laughs) and he, in a recent episode or edition of the comic, is revealed to be a member of the evil cabal known as Hydra, which is kind of like the Nazis. Okay, yes. And many people on the Jewish internet were aghast. Are these concerns valid? Uh, Imagine, Sam, if you will, you're reading a book, a book that you quite enjoy, and you're Mm -hmm. on the 300th page. Yep. And then on the 301st page, there is a plot twist, something you didn't see coming. Now imagine you turn on the radio next day, you open up your newspaper, you go on Twitter, and you see a conversation about that particular plot twist in this book that none of these people read. But David, are you now comparing every single Captain America comic book to one whole book? So the way that superhero comics are written is not as like a indefinite serialization. There are Mm -hmm. story arcs by teams of writers and artists. So they'll be on a book for a fixed period of time. They'll tell one story and then stop. And then it ends. There there are long collaborations that can go on for extended periods of time, but that's a lot more rare. Okay, so from my reading, folks just felt like the representation of Captain America as a Nazi went against all the ideals and morals of the original writers. Now, I'm not holding that position. I am just telling you that that is what people wrote. Captain America has been a a werewolf. Captain America has probably been a vampire. Wait, he's been a werewolf? Like... Having removed conversations from a story that you're actually not reading or following before it finishes doesn't make any sense. And the reason it's happening is because particular executives at Marvel are trying to promote the Captain America book, and we're pushing this possibly controversial analysis in ways that journalists who are thirsty for any hot take they can have are going to pounce on because it requires no effort at all. So you are angry at the Marvel Industrial Complex? I'm angry at the media for jumping on this with very little thought. Just read the book. Wait for it to finish. Like, you don't know what the actual story is yet. It hasn't happened. There's, what, one issue out? Angrydavid.ca over here. It's just ridiculous. But, I mean, maybe we should tell people what the short is that uh, they're about to listen to. I don't want to spoil it too much, but we spoke with the writer and activist Mark Tsang Putterman, who wrote a piece in Jew School a couple weeks ago around the Jews of Color convening. We phoned him up a couple days ago to talk a little bit more about his article. Oh, that was weird noise. Hello? Hey, hey Mark. Uh, this voice is David. Hey there, how are you? Good, good. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, is it okay if we just jump into it? Cool. Um, so, Mark, would you mind telling people a bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Mark Tang Putterman. I'm a New York City-based organizer, active in uh, primarily Asian-American racial justice organizing, and I'm also a member of Jews for Racial Economic Justice, Jews of Color Caucus. 
A few weeks ago, you wrote an article in Jew School that was titled Diversity Won't Challenge Jewry's Role in White Supremacy. Could you describe kind of the central premise of the piece? Sure. I mean, for me, the, the piece comes out of my background as an Asian American Jewish person of color, raised going to a predominantly white Jewish synagogue in New England, and sort of eventually over many years getting involved in Jewish-based community organizing through JFREDGE. And in advance of our Jews of Color convening, I was asked to write a piece for Jew School about my perspectives uh, as a, a Jewish person of color and really wanted to use it as a platform to think critically about moving beyond conversations about quote-unquote diversity or inclusion in our Jewish organizations, institutions, and communities, and think about moving further towards a rhetoric of racial justice and anti-racism. I think there's a way that the language of diversity really obscures the realities of systemic racism and complicity with those systems. So I wanted to sort of challenge our communities to think more critically about how we can actually stand up and take an active anti-racist stance rather than just talking about diversity alone. Yeah, like in, in the piece itself, you wrote that you wanted to see a push to move beyond the language of diversity and inclusion uh, within Jewish spaces that are white dominated. And can you talk for, for listeners, can you talk a bit about what this means and what that looks like? Yeah, I mean, this, this piece that I wrote is influenced by a lot of thinking that other folks have been doing, especially um, a scholar by the name of Vijay Prashad, who's written about the system of multiculturalism and its limitations and ultimately its failures. And essentially, my, my critique of diversity is linked to Prashad's critique of multiculturalism as a political project that allows or enables people of color or people of other historically marginalized identities to climb the ladder in our capitalist white supremacist society without actually challenging those systems themselves. And so I, I think that there's many ways in which Talking about diversity in Jewish institutions can operate in a similar way. We can, you know, open up spaces, make them more inclusive to people of color, to LGBTQ folks, et cetera, without really actively challenging how these institutions are implicated in larger structures of racism, homophobia, transphobia. And so, so what an active anti-racist movement in the Jewish community can look like, I think, is for me really exemplified by the work that JFREDGE, Jews for Racial and Economic Justice, does, uh, and other organizations like Jewish Voice for Peace, Jewish Multiracial Network, that are, are really taking active stances beyond diversity, doing anti-racist work, uh, doing Palestine solidarity work. Changing gears a little bit, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about the relationship between this diversity, multiculturalism framework, and what you write about as the inevitability of assimilation. Mm -hmm. So when I talk about this rhetoric of diversity and inclusion and multiculturalism, I think ultimately these sorts of narratives are linked to a narrative of assimilation. Inclusion, the concept of inclusion is inherently about including people of non-dominant identities into spaces that are dominated by things like whiteness, maleness, Christianness. These spaces will allow people of non-dominant identities in, so long as they don't challenge the dominance of whatever cultural or racial or ethnic identity is, is dominant in that space. 
even thinking at a macro scale about multicultural America, I think multicultural America or the, the melting pot concept is very much linked to the assumption that assimilation is inevitable and even desirable for racialized people, for minoritized people to shed their difference and be blended into Americanness or whiteness or whatnot. Yeah, I mean, reading through the uh, the comments on Jew School of the article, there, there it seemed like there was actually quite a bit of backlash to the sentiment you're putting out there. And I was just I was curious about the reception of the article more broadly. Uh, was it defined by a lot of backlash? Well, I think as always, the comment section uh, brings forth a very particular demographic and people with very strong viewpoints. I mean, I, I I've received a lot of offline positive feedback. Uh, so this piece was published just a few days before the Jews of Color convening took place. And a lot of folks that I connected with there felt very, I think, validated or affirmed by this piece. Sort of a common thing that I heard was that it articulated a lot of their own feelings as people of color uh, or Jews of color in predominantly white Ashkenazi spaces. So that was really encouraging for me. I have to say, I, I mean, I definitely wasn't surprised by some of the backlash online comments accusing me of anti-Semitism, accusing me of sort of blowing up a few microaggressions that I experienced growing up into this sort of outlandish critique of American Jewish society at large. In a lot of ways, that backlash is very indicative of the way that mainstream America talks about and conceptualizes racism. It's a very interpersonal and very individualized understanding. You know, my piece draws a bit from from my personal experience sort of to set up a narrative, but really it's a structural and institutional critique of white supremacy and the role of the American Jewish community within it. I think the way in which we have willfully misunderstood racism as this interpersonal dynamic, as, you know, KKK rallies or using the N-word, is a really pervasive and really destructive way to obscure the realities of structural racism. And I think that the backlash to this article is very much a misreading of my critique of racism as a structure, an underlying structure of the United States and a structure which American Jews have in many ways been complicit and assimilated into is representative of of that way that we so often misread and misunderstand racism as a purely interpersonal dynamic. Coming out of this Jews of Color convening, I think what really strikes me about that space and about the conversations that took place there is that, for me, it was really one of the first, well, it was the largest Jewish space that I entered that was free of a white gaze. Being able to come together as Jews of Color in a space where, you know, it was organized by and for Jews of Color was really freeing. And I think coming out of that raises a lot of questions about how we can continue to do this work given that, you know, the institutional Jewish community is the white Ashkenazi-dominated space. So I'm, I'm coming out of it wondering how we can build new brick-and-mortar institutions that are led by and for Jews of color, and also thinking, you know, how we can come together and organize outside of the existing sort of nonprofit industrial complex and do this anti-racist work as Jews of color in sort of alternative frameworks. 
Well, Mark, thanks so much for sharing these reflections with us. Uh, for listeners, again, the title of the article is Diversity Won't Challenge Jury's Role in White Supremacy, and you can read the article in full at juiceschool.com. Cool. Thank you guys so much for having me.